Thank you, brother, for preparing our hearts to hear God's word this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. For those of you who are guests, we seek to work through one book of the Bible at a time. For those of you who are regular attenders, beginning in October in the Sunday evening service, we're going to begin studying the book of Luke. We wrapped up an overview of the book of Isaiah in the summertime. And uh, this month is an opportunity for us to celebrate service. So we're doing that in the evening services. Uh, tonight we're going to be celebrating the numerous missions trips that our folks were able to participate in this summer. So it'll be a tremendous blessing for you to be here tonight to hear from those sweet folks. I know a number of you will be discipling, uh, and that's fine. But for those who will be in the auditorium this, this evening, we'll participate in hearing those blessings and answers to prayer. But in October, we'll start Luke in the evening services. But for now, we're in Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 7. And let's read a few verses here. And then I'll give a context to this chapter. We'll go as far as we can to 1120. And then we'll enjoy our baptisms this morning. Okay? So let's read together Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1. And we'll read down through... Uh, verse 15. A good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man. And the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, the heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of a fool. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. And this too is futility, for oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your own heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. So that man will not discover anything that will be after him. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. For those of you who are guests, we launched the third major portion of this study just two weeks ago. It began in chapter 6 and verse 1, 
and ends in chapter 8 and verse 15. We spent time focusing on chapter 8 and verse 15 to give us a spiritual benchmark of sorts or clothesline, so to speak, to keep our hearts and minds encouraged as we work through some apparent injustices under God's divine providence we all face from time to time. Chapter 8 and verse 15 reminds us that rejoicing the Lord in the Lord is the reality of the believer who lives under the blessed will of God. And this is to be remembered as we study this third section, just as the conclusion of the first two sections of the book of Ecclesiastes reminded us of the same thing. We realized in chapter 6 that a man can have and enjoy everything temporal, and they're all good gifts from God. But if he lives distracted from eternal purpose, he's unable to live life on purpose, and will live his life doubting the integrity of God. So, the first 15 verses of chapter 7 that we just read trace along the same thought line, only with some varied applications. Here we find a number of practical wisdom truths, I believe eight proverbs, so to speak, in all. Before we investigate the first portion of these proverbs, I want to go back to chapter 6 and verse 12 and find something here that I think is important as we transition to chapter 7. Chapter 6 and verse 12 says this, For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime? And obviously, that would be for us a rhetorical question, wouldn't it? Only truly God knows what's all-encompassing good, overall good for all of us. And I think that needs to be understood here as we travel into chapter 7 because there's going to be some proverbs here, some really some paradoxes that are are here for us that we've already read. They're going to be kind of hard to understand unless we understand that it's really only God that really knows ultimate good for us. Okay. I think it's important for us to remember, too, that we're still in a section of this third section of the book that's addressing people of great prosperity, people of wealth. So we know that things can distract us from eternal purpose, even good things that God gives to us, regardless of the degree of wealth that you have. All right? But now here's some paradoxes that can also distract us as we enjoy the things that we enjoy, that if we're not careful, and if we don't understand this wisdom that Solomon's giving to us here, we'll again focus our eyes and our intentions back on just enjoying things apart from eternal purpose. So again, only the Lord knows how to assist the human heart to remain focused on why we're here anyway. Chapter 8 and verse 15, it says this, So I commanded pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his, what? In his toils. So Solomon is bringing alongside here and attaching to living with joy, enjoying good things, which we know from the last couple weeks is always attached to eternal purpose. You really can't have joy without intentional living for eternal purposes. But he says here there's going to be something also that's a part of that mix. 
and this will need to stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. So we're reminded here that wealth can distract from eternal purpose, but it can also distort reality if we're not careful. So if the wisdom of these 15 verses to be applied, is to be applied, then we'll be, need to be armed, so to speak, with a mindset of maintaining a balanced approach to eternal purpose that we've discussed in the past few, past few weeks together. Wisdom is good. In Proverbs, the whole book of Proverbs, written by the same author of Ecclesiastes, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Is the beginning of wisdom. There are eight different Proverbs here that give to us wisdom. The first portion of this uh, proverb group has to deal with how do we deal with toil alongside of being merry and, and joyful, and, and we'll get to that, but wisdom is good. Solomon wrote, again, the whole book of Proverbs, which emphasizes that quite a bit, but within the context of our whole study, we must attach the embracing of wisdom to joy lived out with eternal purpose. And we really can't forget early on in the book of Ecclesiastes that we've already studied that even wisdom left to itself apart from eternal purpose is futile. He even says that. God never intended to give wisdom to help us orchestrate away from being distracted to eternal purpose or having a distorted view of reality just to give us spiritual success while we live on this earth apart from eternal purpose, and, and we'll discuss that. The world around us gives us a lot of wisdom, gives us a lot of common sense. Social media platforms, there's a flood of this common sense, and sometimes there's even some really good wisdom on those social media platforms. Like every man's made in God's image, and even though they may not even know Christ, because they're God's image bearers, they're able to say some pretty astute things. I wrote down a few here that I've kept track of over the last few months. I've even tweeted some of them out. Every man dies, but not every, not every man truly lives. That's true. I love this one from the Disney Corporation. Posted from the movie Monsters, Inc. We scare because we care. <laughs> so apparently they knew, Ecclesiastes 7 that we've already read, that rebuke from a wise man is better than the praise of fools. You know, we scare you into the right way of living, right? We scare because we care. That's what I've always tried to tell my kids. One person wrote, we buy things with money we don't have to get something we don't need to impress people we don't know. <laughs> that can be true. Right? Someone else wrote, every sunset is an opportunity to reset. And that's good for me. It is for me too. Someone else wrote something incredibly wise. The more you eat, the harder it is to get kidnapped. So stay safe and eat cake. <laughs> so... Put that in your pipe and smoke it, my grandpa used to say, for all you dieters out there. You're not safe anymore. Just kidding. You know I'm kidding. So 
someone else said, if you don't make time for wellness, you will make room for illness. True. I was visiting um, some GFA missionaries, their European missions conference this year, and, and we took an excursion to um, one of those ugly camps that the Nazis set up uh, in Germany. And, and I think you've even been there and uh, visited the same. And um, one of the places where some political and religious prisoners were held, because not all concentration camps, I know most of you probably know this, were not just for the Jewish people. Um, it was Hitler's desire to be a totalitarian despot and to control everything. And he would control politics and he would control religion and he would control foreign ambassadors that were in the country. And, but this particular concentration camp was for political and religious um, prisoners as well as homosexuals. A dark place, to be sure. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you have read him, uh, was in prison there as one of Hitler's prisoners. And there's a little plaque on the wall in the home where he was, or the little place where he was kept. Uh, one of his quotes, and I thought it was, it was wise because it told me of his intention while he was even there in prison. It says, a human being lives in an encounter with another human being. And this encounter entails being charged, each in his own way, with responsibility for the other human being. And I thought, you know what? That really what is, that's what a disciple-making environment is. We can't be interdependently connected with one another at a local church without eternal purposes around the word of God. And every time one life touches another life, it needs to be an influence for life. Some good wisdom there. So aside from these sober or humorous quotes, these wisdom quips can be timeless and they're often very good, but that's what Solomon is saying here in the first section of chapter seven, only this is the inspired, preserved word of God. It's good wisdom. But left to itself, it will get us along for a bit and it will make us somewhat happy and healthy. But wisdom merely spoken, written, and preserved and utilized is still not sufficient in and of itself to bring fulfillment and joy. That's why there's 815. Let's not forget Solomon's words of wisdom, as I've already said in chapter one and verse 18. Wisdom has its limitations, right? For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increases also sorrow. So left to itself, it's good, but not enough. So it's essential, but it's not in the end itself all that we need. Our Bibles teach us that Jesus is wisdom and knowledge, the knowledge of God. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter two that he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything that God is, he is the effervescing, overflowing person of God in human flesh. And certainly in Christ, we have all that we need, but wisdom without Christ can only bring temporary satisfaction. Wisdom without the eternal purpose of Christ will only lead us to a dead end. So, this can be the apparent injustice of this section. It's an apparent, it's not an injustice, especially the first portion, which has a lot of kind of tough news and some morbid realities, it seems, up front, it's apparent. 
So we've got to be careful as we navigate through these 15 verses all the way through the end of this section to chapter 8 and verse 15. We can surrender our hearts to even this wisdom, and we should. Okay. But remember, it's only a band-aid of temporary help if it's not connected to why we're here anyway. So we'll see together apparent injustices, that these are paradoxical statements in the Proverbs of these verses. Some statements here may be difficult to understand, but yes, yet necessary for our learning. There are others that seem to support Solomon's goal to live a joyful life, yet we see that some may appear to be contending with the other. So we'll consider wisdom here for sure, and it's good for us who know Christ. And they are essential principles, the truth to be preserved for our learning so that we can more, fit to be more equipped to live for the reasons that Jesus lived. So here's the truth stated in a number of different paradoxes. That began in chapter 6 and verse 1, but now we're here. The first six verses of chapter 7 present an overall initial perspective, and this is it. The present affliction and pain that we endure often prove to be more helpful to us than prosperity and laughter. The present affliction and pain that we endure often prove to be more helpful to us than prosperity and laughter. We often hear this in the athletic world. If you succumb to an injury, that's hard. You can lose a season. You might even lose a career. But we're always told in that environment, let this short-term problem build your character and build your ability for the long-term. Trials do produce character, don't they? I mean, we could even put a Bible verse on that in James chapter 1, can't we? For the believer, trials do produce perseverance. We can't escape that reality. That's pretty much what Solomon is saying here in this first section of the chapter 7. So what's our first point of wisdom in this initial perspective? Okay. There are some things here that can outlast even the lifestyle of a wealthy man. And what are those things? Verse 1, a good name is better than good ointment. You might have a translation that says a good reputation is better than great riches. And then it says here the day of one's death is better than than the day of one's birth. So what do we learn from the first portion of this particular proverb? Someone once said that there's three names that a person gets. The one their parents gave them, the ones their friends give them, and the one they make for themselves. There really is a consideration here of two particular dates, calendar dates, in this first proverb the day of one's birth and the day of one's death, the obituary date. So apparently after a man's death, his memory may last if it's a life lived of good reputation. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 7 says, the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Mary of Bethany knew this, didn't she? when she worshiped the Lord Jesus with integrity. Judas, whose name derives from Judah, the pagan among Christ's disciples, 
He didn't understand that. He didn't understand that. So for the wealthy person, let's not get distracted. It is better for us to live a life of good repute with wisdom so that our death, our spiritual legacy will live on. That's simple. If we get distracted by death, unwisely distracted by death, we will want to live for things and to live for the here and now. We'll live a carpe diem, seize the day, kind of life only. But if we let death be our instructor, it will teach us how to live soberly and righteously and justly in this present age for eternal purposes. And the day of our death can be better than the day of our birth. Why? Because it accounts for something. It counts for something so much bigger than just us who have a birthday. Our death will be glorious if we've lived a life tied to wisdom and eternal purposes and using the wealth that God's given all of us unto those ends. He says here, it is better to mourn than to feast. That's interesting. Verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. Reminded recently through something that I read that asked me a question. (laughs) Would you rather go to a birthday party or a funeral? Most of us would say, I'll take the balloons and the cake, please. Nothing wrong with that. But Solomon has something deeper to share with us. That in walking through the valley of the shadow of death, individually or corporately, there's much more to learn there than there is to learn at a birthday party. One of the families that our family is trying to reach for Jesus Christ, you may have seen this in the news and in the newspaper around here the last couple weeks, but... um, there was a man who was out fishing in Lake Erie. He was fishing alone, and apparently from what the Coast Guard investigations can tell, he was reaching over the boat to net a walleye, and a wave hit the boat and knocked him off the boat, and he wasn't wearing a life preserver. And this is over two weeks ago, I think, and he, he still can't be found. You may have seen that on the news. I got a call here in the office because when I saw it on the news, I was like, oh my goodness, I hope that's not connected to the family that we know. And sure enough, it was. There was a family that was members here years ago, and it was actually his son that they can't find. Well, his son's brother, daughter, plays soccer with our Emma. And so I went over to the father's home, wept with them, prayed with them, the next soccer game we had, I saw Steve and his wife, Jody, and uh, we just quickly hurried ourselves to each other, and we, we embraced, and we wept, told them I'd be praying for them. We stuck by each other the rest of the night, even though it's a soccer game. Um, Jody was sitting next to me, and she said, you know, Tim, this is a competitive game. It's a close soccer match, Right? Um, there's cheering, little booing, little railing. It's a game, right? 
Her daughter's sitting in front of us. She's just begun her freshman year at the University of Cincinnati. The whole world's in front of her. And she says, you know what? When stuff like this happens, it's amazing what doesn't matter anymore. She goes, this game really doesn't matter. You know, my daughter's college education, I mean, really doesn't matter. She goes, we just want to find our brother. We just want to put him to rest. We just want to enjoy our family. <laughs> Death has a way of teaching us what's essential and what's simple, doesn't it? It puts a perspective on things. And, and that's what Solomon's saying here in part. It's better to go and learn from the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. This is, this is a time for, for all of us to sit back and to really examine what's essential, what's important. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Where am I going? All these essential questions that demand answers are questions that we ask when we get to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, individually or together, corporately. And for the context of all of Ecclesiastes, we know that when we walk through that, even of people of great wealth, and I'm going to include all of us in here, we're all pretty rich. <laughs> we're all pretty filthy rich, actually. You say, I don't have that much. Well, we're rich compared to the most parts of the world. We know that we're infinitely rich in Jesus Christ. So I'll just address everybody, because we're all pretty wealthy. Right. I think what a sober, proper, rightful consideration of death does for us is to get us back and focused on the simple, eternal purposes in which why we're here and why we live anyway. Because like we said a couple weeks ago, the only thing we can take to heaven with us is souls. That's it. And death has a way of, even for people that don't know Jesus, skinnying life's realities down to a bare minimum, a least common denominator of what's really important anyway. Yeah. 9-11, you've all heard the recordings of people on Flight 93 doomed for the ground in Pennsylvania. And they had phones on their planes. And what did they do? Who'd they want to call? What did they say? What really mattered at that point anyway? Right? Death does that for all of us. So it's good to consider it. It's good to consider it even when we're alive and we're well. Now think about that in relationship to increasing percentages of people of all ages committing suicide, especially our youth. What do the youth always hear at funerals? Memorial services. Well, they're in a better place. So they look at that better place and they're considering death so that their life can be made shorter so they can get to that better place quicker. And what's Solomon say? No, you consider death, right? But the consideration of death for believers is for the living especially the living who live with eternal purposes. For me to live is Christ. 
and to die is gain. But he's saying a healthy consideration of death drives us to simplicity and simple eternal purpose. It's a good place to be because we don't think about those things much when we're opening up layers of presents and eating layers of cake and blowing out many candles. We're just enjoying good things there and God says to do that. But we don't learn those principles then, do we? Okay. So, we know what it means now to have, to live with eternal purpose and eternal reputation at the time of our death and it's good to go to the classroom of mourning. It simplifies things for us, personally and then spiritually. Let's pray together and we'll continue on through these Proverbs again next week. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the simplicity of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you gave it to us in the order in which you did to help us understand it, to rightly divide it and to apply it. We need your wisdom as we study your wisdom so that we know how to apply it, particularly in relationship to these first two verses in chapter 7 this morning. May our hearts be encouraged and blessed by the testimonies to follow in Jesus' name. Amen.